Hello, everyone, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease, and author of the book that shares the same name of this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more, and this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me, success stories of people that have been through hard times, and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. I hope you've been able to catch our recent episodes, including Roxanne Battle, author of Pockets of Joy, on her father's dementia, Samantha Harris of Dancing with the Stars fame, where we talk about cancer, wellness, and her simple tips for finding, as she titles it, your healthiest healthy. And recently with Talia Pollock of Party in My Plants, about how she spent years silently struggling with unknown health issues, which led to depression and low confidence. Now, if you like this episode or others, please tell your friends and do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed. And for today's guest, I'm excited to introduce you to Shantana Hazel. She's the founder of Sister Girl Foundation, the author of 28 Ways on How to Advocate for Your Healthcare, and has been recognized with numerous awards around the world for her dedication and commitment advocating for women's health care. While she's the life of the party, full of laughs, and always willing to grab a karaoke mic, she's lived with life-altering pain and deep anguish from endometriosis since she was a teen. 16 surgeries and nearly three decades later, she took the pain and turned it into purpose. Shantana is committed to ensuring that women with chronic illnesses aren't suffering in silence and receive proper care. Her story is full of inspiring words, lessons on resilience, and how to advocate for yourself after a health diagnosis. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be here with you today talking to Shantana Hazel. Shantana is the founder of the Sister Girl Foundation, which is an organization geared towards increasing awareness, advocacy, and education about endometriosis. She also is the author of 28 Ways on How to Advocate for Your Healthcare. Now, Shantana and I met at this point a few years ago at a Yale event, and let me tell you, she is full of positive energy. Immediately, I would probably say within two minutes, we gave each other a big hug, feeling like we knew each other, even though we had just met. Yes. I am really excited and I'm grateful that you're here today to share your story because she has been living with endometriosis since a very young age. She also has rheumatoid arthritis and she, her body has just been through the ringer, um, Yet through all of this, she has been able to come to a positive place and help others and inspire others and advocate for others and especially try and help people help themselves. So Shantana, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I am very honored and I'm thankful that you invited me on your platform. So thank you. 
Well, you are very welcome. Now, first, before we begin to tell your story, can you share with us something that people don't necessarily know about you, but that the listeners might be excited to hear about? So maybe something that people really don't know about me, but my family and friends and people close to me may know this. I am really silly. I have this silly side to me, especially when I'm really tired. I like to joke a lot. And for the most part, I'm always advocating in my, I have my serious hat on, but I am the life of the party. I like to laugh and smile and dance. I like to enjoy life. And so people don't really get to see that side of me because I'm working. And so that's one thing that I would say that the world, not too many people know that I I like to do those things. Oh my goodness. I (laughs) love it. Had I known that we could have behind the scenes been in costumes. I mean, this is a podcast, so no one's watching us, although we can do it by video, but maybe (laughs) next time that we connect and do something, maybe we'll do like an Instagram live together. We should do something silly, like wear hats or. Oh, absolutely. I do do karaoke. I have three karaoke machines in my home. No way. I love (laughs) karaoke. Why do you have three though? Um, well, I got them as gifts at different times okay. during, during my karaoke phases. And so I was very serious about it. And you would thought that I was an artist for real okay. because I have some studio art type equipment. And if you're going to get on my mic, you have to be serious. You have to have a routine, no joking, no playing on my mic, not with karaoke. Oh I'm my goodness. I, you're going to have to send me pictures because, you know, now with the way the world is, we're not necessarily going into each other's homes because of uh-huh. COVID-19, but I would love to see this. Do you know that my husband gave me a gift after I completed my first round of chemo and it was a karaoke machine? Oh my God. I mean, it was years that ago. I don't amazing. have it, but you and I are meant to be friends. Yes, I knew that. I knew that when I first saw you, I'm like, I have, I loved your speech. So I had to get to you when you were done. That's why we hugged so quickly because I gravitated towards your words, your energy. It was such a good vibe. You're welcome. Well, that event was really wonderful. It, it, Mm -hmm. you know, I love that Yale was able to, and Dr. Ratner's team really with the Sims Clinic has been able mm-hmm. to create big events to help other people, which is obviously you and I are drawn to that because we both, with what we do, want to inspire people and help them advocate for themselves. Absolutely. So before we go there though, I'd love for you to share with us, you have endometriosis and there's a lot of people out there that have heard of it, but don't really know what it is. Can you explain to us a little bit about endometriosis. So endometriosis, it's more of a systemic type of disease. And it normally occurs when the lining of the tissue, that's it's kind of similar to the lining that's within our uterus. And it ends up being in different places within our bodies. Okay. And this is what this is what causes the pain because this is abnormal. You know, if it lines the uterus it, well outside. And so it causes a lot of pain and like organ dysfunction and one of the leading causes of infertility, um, which is I know a lot of women uh, with endometriosis has experienced that. It's basically, it's mostly commonly found in our pelvic area, Okay. but it, it can appear in our bladder, our bowels, believe it or not, in our lungs, our diaphragm, and even the brain. Yes. And even the brain, because they, I remember when I, in my beginning of my journey, they used to say that it was just a reproductive disorder, but it's far from that because it affects many other organs that has nothing to do with our reproductive system. 
Now, can you tell us, I know you were diagnosed at a young age. Mm -hmm. Can you share with us what it was like and what your journey has been since then? Well, it took me 14 years to get diagnosed. I started 14 years and the delayed, it's very delayed in diagnosis. And 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 I'll get into that, why that is, because this is why your podcast is very important to get the messages out about endometriosis. We like to call it endo for short because it's a long word, it's a tongue tire. And so if you hear me say endo throughout the interview, then, you know, I just want to make sure everyone knows it's for endometriosis. And I was 11 years old when I started my menstrual cycles. And what happened was I thought it was normal. You know, I watched people in my family go through these different um, bad menstrual cramps. And, you know, just that time of the month was just not a good time for them. And so I, as you, as a young girl watching that, I thought that it was supposed to happen that way for me as well. And so at 11, I'm having these pains. And it was excruciating. You know, it would go down my legs, my entire back. Um, I would feel very weak and fatigued. And I remember uh, my mother was out of town and I was with some relatives, my favorite cousins. I used to like to stay with them. Uh And um, and my menstrual cycle came on. And I felt really lost because I really wanted my mom to be here because everything felt better when my mother was around. My mother, even to yeah. this day, you know, she guides me through stuff. I still oh. listen to her, even if it's wrong. <laughs> I'm still there's the comfort of your mother's <laughs> yes. words, right? Yes. And so I remember calling her. She was in North Carolina, and I called her, and I'm telling her what's going on with me. And at first, I thought I was about to die. And she said, "It's just your period." That's how she said it. It's just your period. She said, "This is what you do." And so she gave me all these. My mother's the queen of home remedies. And so I love like that. She, she can write a book on home remedies. And so she told me all these different things to do. And nonetheless, it didn't soothe none of the pain that I was feeling. Okay. And so throughout the years, I remember that day so vividly because that was the first day of what I thought was the end of my fun, the fun girl, because I was fun even as a child. I, uh-huh. I had a lot of fun. And so I just, I felt angry all the time because I really didn't know what was happening to my body. And so going throughout the years prior to being diagnosed, I was going back and forth to the doctors and they kept saying, put it, put you on birth control or. And is this because the pain was so excruciating? Yes. The pain was severe. The pain was so bad. I couldn't go to school the first several (sighs) days of my cycle. Yes. I had to get a doctor's note not to play PE. Okay. Because that did not work for me. So I, I opted out of playing it all together because sometimes my cycles will just come whenever it felt like it. Yeah. And so it was, my cycle was always abnormal from the very first one. You know, I would go from five days to seven days to three days, then back to seven days. <gasps> mm-hmm. God, gosh. And so dealing with that, I remember... I was told that I wouldn't be able to have any children um, because of what was what my my the makeup of my female organs looked like. This was prior to even being diagnosed with endometriosis. I recall a doctor at one of the clinics that the young girls we used to go to. And I'm not going to mention the name, but I remember going there and I remember that doctor saying that to me. And I'm saying, I'm really young. You can't say that to me. Yeah. (laughs) Right. You can't tell me that at this age. 
Plus, I want to have hope. Like, let's talk about resources. Let's talk about, you know, other areas we could go, something. But okay, so they said they didn't think that you would be able to have kids. Now, mind you, at the time, I didn't think I was thinking about children. But in hindsight, I am so thankful that I had my son at 18. And I had him at 18. And had I not done that, then my story would have been, I would have not been able to have any biological children because after that I wasn't able to have any more children. So they were right in, in, in some, some aspects of my situation okay. and my journey. Okay. And so what happened was I remember I got pregnant with my son and I didn't know I was pregnant until I was four going into my like four and a half months is when I found out I was pregnant. Imagine that four and a half months. <laughs> pregnant and not know I was going to school. I was wearing my same outfits and, you know, my, my pants would fit. And then one day I felt like I had the flu and I remember going to the school nurse and I said, I, I don't feel well. I, feel, and I, I don't know what the flu feels like. Mind you, I have no idea. I just know my body felt funny, but I still had my cycle the entire time. So really? nothing alarmed me. Yes. Nothing alarmed me that it's a possibility and so when the school nurse said it to me, I said, no, absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. And so she said, well, we're just going to do it anyway. So she took a test and lo and behold, I was pregnant. And that blew my mind, <laughs> blew my mind. And so then I recall the same doctor telling me, well, your symptoms with your menstrual cycle should get better because now you're having a baby, you're pregnant. So this is what they say to women with endometriosis. Okay. Even before they think that this is what you have. They'll tell you to get pregnant, have a child. They'll tell you to try birth control. They'll put you on a medication that puts you in a medical menopause. And so everything shuts down. Before I was 30, I was in menopause. Yes, before 30, I had hot flashes, night sweats. You name it, I had it. Don't forget the the moodiness too. I had that. (laughs) And so I remember after that, I had... I got I got pregnant again, but this was years and years later. So mind you, from 11 to 18, and now we're going to fast forward a little bit, and I have an ectopic pregnancy. After going to the doctor numerous times, complaining to this one doctor, I would tell him so many times how bad my body felt. Now, this is the part where you don't feel like you're heard because no one listened. The doctor didn't listen to me. He would give me pain medicine or just anything he can think of to mask what was really happening instead of running the test that he probably should have at the time. And so this is why I went through um, a lot of anguish during my younger years of, I'm not old, okay, I'm I'm still young. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But I I went through a lot and I really started, I started being depressed and having a lot of um, anxiety because I really felt like something is wrong and that I'm going to die because these doctors are not listening to me. And at that time, I didn't really feel comfortable with questioning the doctor because I felt like they're the expert. They yeah, know what right. they're doing. Right. I and understand so, that. Right. I never questioned them. I Whatever they told me to do, I did it. And then it, when the ectopic pregnancy came, and that came a couple of years before I was actually officially di- um, diagnosed. And so when that happened, I remember the same doctor sent me home several occasions. He kept saying, one day he said, I'm sick of seeing you in here. It's not that bad. Yes. He told me that. I'm, I'm, I can't think I, of the same. I can't same. believe that. I, I know. It just blows your mind. I know. 
it blows your mind because as I'm, I'm saying it and I think back and I reflect on it, I cannot believe that a doctor with a license, he's practicing and he's taking care of women. And this is how you choose to take care of us. So where was your aha moment? Like, where did it change so that now the... I mean, you're in the driver's seat. You write about mm-hmm. it. You, mm-hmm. you know, your book, 28 Ways on How to Advocate for Your Healthcare, clearly came out of years upon years upon years of you not feeling like you had a voice. But when did it change? And when did you allow your voice to be heard? It was my 14th surgery. And I've, I've had a total of 16. Yes. And life is still good. Life is still good because I'm still here to tell my story. And so I have to just speak positivity throughout my life and anything that I do. This is what gets me by. And I remember I said, I am so angry. I am so I felt just so ugly at the time, meaning my body just didn't feel good. And I had all of these different scars all over my stomach. And and I just said, I don't like how I look. I don't like anything about myself right now but I wore a mask, right? You know, sometimes we put the mask on our faces and we we go outside and we present one way and when we come back inside, we're another way. Yeah. And I was, I was tired of that. And I said, this is no way, no way to live. And today I'm going to take my life back. And when I, in the process of doing it, I want to help other women because I do not want another woman to go through all of these challenges that I did just to get diagnosed or just to even be heard about what my symptoms were. And so I remember the the world sister word sister girl comes from a few of my girlfriends that I grew up with, and um, some that I, I I loved on along the way. And I'm an only child, mm-hmm. and so I remember saying, you know, I called them, hey sister girl, you know, they they were like a sister to me, yeah, and more more than a girlfriend, but a girlfriend right. and right, a sister, right, right. so sister girl. And I started calling them that throughout the years of, you know, growing up. We were we were in our 20s around this time and it just stuck with me. And I said, every woman should have a sister girl in their lives, <sighs> someone that's going to support them, going to hold them up, going to when no one's listening, they're going to be that listening ear. They're going to be there to comfort them and they're going to be there to, to hold their hand along the way, sitting in the doctors, no matter what it may be to pull them out that dark space. This is what sister girl is about. And so I had to birth this because I needed it. I needed it to crawl out of the darkness. And this is what the foundation has done for me. And I said, if it can do this for me, imagine what it can do for women across the world. Oh my goodness. That is so beautiful and so meaningful and, and just perfect that the, the, that the name comes from a place deep in your heart of your best friends that are more than friends that are your sisters. And now you want the love that they gave you, that they shared with you to bring it to all women that are touched by endometriosis. Absolutely. How meaningful, like on so many levels. Thank you. It's needed. It's especially dealing with endometriosis where you really don't feel heard and you're going from doctor to doctor. I've had over 10 doctors just for endometriosis. And so I, I know the frustrations of it and we shouldn't have to go through 10 years or more delayed diagnosis. We should be able to go in, say what our symptoms are and then have someone listen and then have a plan together, you know, yeah. a, a care plan together to why, we're, how we're going to figure out what's happening to you, because there's only one way to diagnose this definitively. And that's through a laparoscopy. 
And so you have to go through an invasive surgery. There is no testing. And I hear people even today, some I hear girls or women say, you know, my doctor did an ultrasound and told me I had endometriosis. And I said, no, your doctor can't do that. That's not the proper way to get diagnosed or even have surgery to have it removed. They're just removing it instead of doing excision surgery. So it's so many different components that that need to happen and that surrounds endometriosis and the treatment of it um, from the diagnosis to the treatment of it and then living through it. You know, we have to right. live through it, not with it, but just live through it because that makes a difference. And so that's what I decided to do. Just live enjoy my life. I am the fun girl. I am no longer the sick girl, regardless of what my body may say. I'm no longer that girl. I am happy. I have a beautiful family and I have a a community at large that loves me and I love them back. And so it's my duty to sit here and be the voice and the face for endometriosis to give other women hope because there is hope living with and living through endometriosis. There's hope. We just have to speak life into that, that little bit of darkness that we may have. You know, if we start speaking affirmations and positivity into ourselves, the possibilities are endless for a better care, better quality of life. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. I feel like I know part of the answer, but you can expand upon it. I I was going to ask you when you get that call from somebody, a friend of a friend of a friend says, you know, my sister just got diagnosed with endometriosis. Mm-hmm. What would you like? What are your words of wisdom to them? The first thing that I do is it's about journaling, right? And so you have to journal and jot down your entire journey as you're going through it because this is not just for yourself, but it helps you when you're navigating through the healthcare system because you don't want to get frustrated or get overwhelmed. And so if you start writing things out, um, as they're happening to you. So then when you are at these appointments, it helps you. It, it gives you a little peace because now you can glide through the appointment and, and um, aspect to, well, what are you feeling and what are you going through and when did this start? And when we try to figure that out off the top of our head, when you're already going through pain, that right there will frustrate you. And so I, I advise people who are newly into this this realm of endometriosis, I advise them to write things down, um, keep a journal, keep notes of different things that are happening to you and be honest, be honest with your physician, whoever, whomever you're seeing, let them know how you're feeling. Even if you're coming from a place of uh, a hurt, um, a physician hurt you in the past, you know, even if that's the situation, because then that would allow them to understand you're reluctant to, um, to gravitate towards them or even, you know, your pushback. It, it'll give them an idea of where you're coming from and actually how to treat you. You know, I, I teach my doctors how to treat me and what I want and what I need. And so I, I advise patients to do the same thing. And But we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to be honest with our physicians. So that's another thing that I also make sure that they do. They're being honest. And if one physician doesn't listen to you and don't find yourself going going through the roller coaster with one physician because if that's going to happen then you're going to get comfortable and you're going to stay there so as soon as you you feel like you're not being heard and you voice that to that doctor and nothing changes it's time to move on and move on unapologetically because it's your body and if a doctor doesn't allow you to be a part of your care plan then it's definitely time to, to leave because nothing happens to us without us i truly believe that I mean, these words could be given, I think, to anybody who is 
recently diagnosed or not feeling well with any disease. I think to your point, note-taking, journaling, jotting down bullets in a list, whatever it might be, documenting how you feel, some of your, you know, side effects, sometimes, you know, what you've been eating, what your habits are, can be really helpful in, you know, dictating how you move forward and how you, again, might get better, might heal. But also Mm -hmm. it's helpful for the doctors in understanding where you're coming from. And, Absolutely. and then going to the doctor and then taking notes there because there's just so much when you're in the thick of being in pain or an, a shocking mm-hmm. diagnosis, right? We right, you don't always right. we remember. Right. Yes, we have brain fog. And even the other patients that we service with endometriosis, I mean, with Sister Girl Foundation, women with breast cancer and ovarian cancer, and a lot of that we have brain fog. Yes. And so this is what I tell anyone that reaches out to the foundation or reaches out just to me personally. And I provide my service to go to with them to the doctors or if they're going for treatment, regardless of what that treatment looks like. I sit there with them because I know what support looks like. And my support team, I had some rocky days, but for the most part, I had an amazing team. You, you know, talk the to people us. took care of me. Tell us about your support team. Not that people need to replicate exactly what you did because what you did Mm -hmm. worked for you. But can you talk about the different type of support that is out there for people with endometriosis? So there, first of all, when I was going through my journey, I didn't know about all of this support. I don't even know if it was there. I started finding these little groups and things years later. And so now to date, there are so many different organizations and a lot of us are collaborating instead Uh of, reinventing the wheel Love it. because I, I'm all about building relationships and collaborating because I don't want to start something new if my sister girl over there already has the same thing. So let's see how we can work together. And this is how we build. You know, I needed a team of physicians in New York. And so I reached out to one of my endo sisters in New York and said, who do you have um, on your list that you can refer to me because we know who's good and we know who's not. And so we keep listings of these things. And so there are so many different, um, like I said, there's advocacy groups, there's support groups, there, make sure your family, you know, your family and your friends, you cannot go through this or any illness by yourself. You need that support. My ex-husband at the time, amazing. He was such an amazing person. And I think that I poured my true emotions out to him. So outside of everyone, including my mom, he knew everything that I was truly dealing with. Even when I I didn't say I was in pain, he knew when I was in pain. He knew when there were certain things that I may have needed because my moods, my mood switched. And so, you know, he would bring those things to soothe me, you know, my gospel music or my journal so I can write in it because that actually worked for me and made me feel better. And then my mom, you know, my mom, my best friend, amazing. And I'm so thankful to have had these people, you know, my, my son, you know, I have other children, I have bonus children. I'm thankful for them. And my cousins, my brother, you know, I've just had a lot of people around me. And then I have my sister girls. Okay. I have a, a whole team of sister girls who are just even to this day, because I still deal with this because there is no cure for this disease. And so I'm still dealing with it. And I still have, you know, the bulk of my support team And I can still depend on them when I need them. And I'm honest about how I feel now. You know, I don't mask my pain, uh, you know, trying not to feel like a burden or 
just feeling ashamed because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what it was. It was embarrassing. Who talks about your lady part? You know, no one really right. talks about the lady part. Now I talk about it freely, you know, because well, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And I think the, the other thing that, I mean, I found as a cancer survivor is that our support system, whoever that might be, our friends, our family members, people that truly love us and care about us and who connect with us in a positive manner. They don't bring us down, especially when we're going through hardship. They want to help. And so Mm -hmm. if you need to talk about your lady parts or I need to talk about like some sort of stressor with my cancer, they want to be there because sometimes the caregivers and the friends, they feel a little helpless. So in some ways, you know, we're giving them, I don't want to say we're giving them a gift, but we're helping them help us when we mm-hmm. are honest and we don't have to have a bright, sunny, beautiful day every day. We just need to be us. And I think the real friends and the true friends, and, you know, I know some people don't have family nearby, um, mm-hmm. but maybe they have friends or they have like the sister girl foundation who will connect them with people or other organizations that will connect them to find that support so that, each person gets what they need. Absolutely. No woman suffers in silence. No one suffers alone anymore. You know, we've done it for way too long. And so that's one of my taglines. No one suffers and no woman suffers in silence. I did it. It didn't feel good. I don't want anyone else to have to experience that. So I, I actually opened myself. And then the ladies of the Sister Girl Foundation, they have no illnesses, you know? Well, there's one with, had, she's a breast cancer survivor. I think it's 12 years now. Wow. And then my, my mom, she's five years lung cancer survivor, <sighs> you know? Yes. You know, she made it. She made it through the threshold. She yeah. made it to that milestone. And that's amazing. And I know for cancer survivors, when you get to that five year, right. you, you breathe a little bit. Right. You know, you you can let your shoulders down some and you can breathe. And so this is what we want to provide. We just want to continue to make sure that women are educated, they're supported. And then we teach you how to advocate for yourself, you know, the right tools and the right questions to ask. And this is why I did the second book, um, A New Me, The Mind, Body, Soul, Health and Wellness Journal. And it, it spoke to a lot of things that we already talked about you know, things to put your thoughts and your emotions and, you know, just to write down your, your, all of your doctor's information. It's good to keep that in one space right? because when we go back and forth to the doctors, like we said earlier, you want to not have to think about everything off the fly, right? you know, because the brain fog is very real. And so I put everything I can think of uh, that's very important and vital, not just to write down to get to your doctor, but how to take care of your mind. Yes, because that's great. When you, yes, when you're taking care of your body, I remember my doctor made me so mad once I did get an awesome team who I have now. Before, I, I didn't like my team at first. I'm telling you, I was I fought them. I was so reluctant because I was hurt so much in the past. And so I remember them saying to me, what's your mood like? How, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm fine. I would snap at them. And I didn't realize that I actually was dealing with depression. I didn't, I didn't know the signs of depression to actually say that's what I was experiencing. And so I'm thankful that they did. They kept going over. They kept asking and they kept asking. So thank God that they did. And one day I said, I don't feel good sometimes. I don't feel like getting out of bed, not from pain, but I just feel sad. Yeah. And I started expressing how I was feeling. And so in this journal, you know, it has tabs, it has pages for all of those things. And it also things that is very important because you can't take care of one without taking care of the other. Well, I 
completely agree with you with my journey. It's, you know, similar in that manner that sometimes there's physical ailments, but sometimes there's mental ailments too. And it's really amazing when you have, uh, I call it my wellness team. My oncologist is a part of it. My acupuncturist is a part of it and wrapping that all. But the ultimately, you know, we are call it the captain of our wellness team. And so, but having a tool like a journal that houses all that information can be uh-huh. incredibly helpful. So my question to you, I follow your social media and I know that you believe in a gratitude practice. So I think you are going to love what I'm about to ask you, but I don't want to presume it. So yes, I am. I totally, I, I'm going to love it because I do it daily. We have the seven days of gratitude. Um, it's kind of like a challenge that we're doing. I want to get everyone on social media thinking because in the climate that we're in now, yes. so much is happening. But what are we thankful for? You know, daily people think safe self-care has to be once a month or yes. once a week. It's every day. It's every single day. Take care of yourself every single day. What are you thankful for? Yes. So I, I do it on social media. I have this uh, It's hashtag seven days of gratitude. And so it's just to give people and I share what my my gratitudes are. And what I'm, you know, thankful for who I'm, you know, the people and places and experiences and things that I'm grateful for. And so I just pray that everyone just jumps on that gratitude train because it will make you feel so great. Your day will be amazing. Speak life into your situation. Well, and, and that's what's interesting is that there are studies that show that coming up with some sort of gratitude practice has proven to help people heal. I think Mm -hmm. anecdotally, I can tell you that it's not like I've done a case study on myself by any means, but I know that when I have a bad day and I pull myself aside and I try and take a few breaths and I'm like, all right, so it's been a bad day, but listen, this went well, this went well. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. My energy starts to change in a more positive form, which is why I have created this, um, you know, like, evening routine with my son, which we call the grateful game, which is what I want you to play with me to close out the interview. And what we do is basically, it's just a gratitude practice where each night we give each other a time period, or you could also play it where it would be like, give me five things you're grateful for. And I need to beat you by one. And you know, my, (laughs) my kid's 11. And so he's a little competitive with me and you know, does he win every time? Yeah, he he does win every time. But um, so what I'd love to do is I would love, I'll start, I'll do 30 seconds and I will, um, I will then throw it to you and we'll see who can talk about what they're more grateful for. Okay. And that's just, I think a beautiful way we, we talk about, you know, life has its ups and downs, especially now with, you know, COVID-19 and what you and I live on a daily basis and all these other things that are going on in the world and the community and life. Um, life isn't easy for most people, but hopefully if they play the grateful game or do seven days of a gratitude challenge, they might find a little bit of joy during their journey. Yes, absolutely. All right. So my 30 seconds is I'm going to start out now and I'm going to say, okay, the first thing that I'm grateful for is that I have a new puppy and I have figured out the times he likes to walk. And it's like our morning and early evening Zen time together. So rather than when he started, 
um, it was kind of stressful. You know, we, he was trying to figure me out. I was trying to figure him out. But now I found this beauty in us kind of exploring nature together. And I'm incredibly grateful I have that because I didn't have that before. And it's really added some peace to my life. So that's one. Um, number two, I am grateful because it was just my birthday and oh, I love, thank you. Um, and so I, I just love the love and because, you know, everybody knows from social media or this or that, a lot of people came out of the woodwork and, um, you know, wish me happy birthday. So that, you know, that feels really good and you feel loved. And so I'm grateful for all those friends and family and strangers that reached out to say happy birthday. So anyway, I think I hit my 30 seconds. I'm going to throw it to you. Okay. So the one first thing that I am grateful for is I am grateful that today I stood up, I well, I got up and I put lipstick on, I did my hair, I got dressed up for the podcast, even though it's not video, but I am grateful that I did that because I wasn't feeling great yesterday. And so I'm just truly grateful that I feel better today and I had enough energy and I just pushed a little bit to actually look a little prettier today and just get myself all dialed up. So I'm grateful for that. And another thing that I am grateful for is a text message that I got from one of my friends in Miami. And she just sent the message and just saying how much she appreciates everything that we do with the foundation and just me as a person and how many lives I touch. And she wanted to let me know that I was one of hers, that one of the lives that she touched, what I touched hers. And so I'm grateful for that. And another thing, I'm truly grateful for this moment right here. This is probably my biggest gratitude today is because endometriosis need to get more attention. And I feel the more attention we get, the more people will understand and the more people will hear it, the words to um, to get diagnosed, if it's them, if they're having heavy menstrual cramping and, you know, just similar small things like that. And so I'm thankful that you invited me on your platform to actually just share my journey and just thank you so much for doing that. So that's my biggest gratitude today. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much. I am, I I am in awe sometimes of those days that you have where you go into it. For instance, when I went to that event for Yale and I went into it Mm -hmm. really excited to, you know, be side by side with one of my doctors for her event, doing a speaking engagement and connecting with people. And Mm -hmm. then it's there that you and I connected and it's like it's born this other direction of a friendship. It's, you know, connecting with someone with such positive energy that's doing such good work. And I didn't know that going into the day. And I'm finding all these other like experiences that I've had, like when we throw ourselves out there, when we use our voices, Mm -hmm. whether it's for our illness to speak up, to make sure we're getting the care that we need because we know something's not right or whether we're just sharing our story with the world, whether it's a story of positivity, a story of triumph, or just a hard story. I feel like there's so many ways for people to listen now, and it can be so helpful. And so for all of you out there who are listening to this that may have endometriosis um, or have a friend that may have been touched by it, I hope that you um, understand a little bit more and know that there are resources out there. And So with that, I am so grateful for you, Shantana. 
I am so happy that you came on the podcast and I look forward to us staying in touch. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to everybody out there, um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation and we'll connect soon. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to leave you with a quick thought, but first a request. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And tell your friends about us too. If you love us, they might as well. And now my parting words. On today's episode, Shantana and I share the importance of journaling or documenting conversations and information after receiving a diagnosis. Having a medical binder or digitized folder with files, notes, and thoughts can be really important. As she puts it, we all get brain fog when going through stressful situations and having notes on not only what we learn about our diagnosis, but how we feel with any side effects related to them can be helpful to keep handy in a journal. I felt strongly about this as well. So included a journal and note-taking pages in the back of my book, Happiness Through Hardship. If you know a friend or family member with cancer, please check it out. It's filled with insight and bits of inspiration to help everyone find a little joy, even during a dark journey. Thanks again for joining us today. Sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.